Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Pantheon is an ancient temple that now serves as a Catholic church in the 21st century, found in the heart of the city of Rome, where it has stood for nearly 2,000 years. Rome is uh, obviously filled with all sorts of ancient buildings uh, from the time of the Roman Republican Empire, but the Pantheon is perhaps the best preserved out of all of them. Um, and most remarkably of all, even in today's world of modern engineering and, and advanced construction, to this day, the Pantheon is where you'll find the world's largest unreinforced concrete dome in a building that's almost 2,000 years old. As I say, it's a remarkable building. It's a beautiful building. And there is so much to talk about when it comes to the Pantheon. So many interesting little bits and pieces about it from across the century. So before things get away from me and this just becomes, you know, another another full-length episode, let's get into it here and begin the story of the Pantheon. Um, and to do so, we have to go back all the way to the late 1st century BCE, to the time of the foundation of the Roman Empire. After seizing power during the collapse of the Roman Republic, Julius Caesar's successor, Augustus, he instituted enormous construction projects throughout Rome as he established his new empire. And one of these projects was under the authority of a bloke named Marcus Agrippa, Augustus's son-in-law, and it was undertaken in the central area of the ancient city, beginning in around 29 BCE. And this particular project it involved the construction of a, of a baths, of a building for public functions and of a temple. Now, the baths of Agrippa haven't survived. There are only sparse remnants of the Basilica of Neptune still around today. But the temple building, the Pantheon, has stood the test of time and is still standing, sort of. Not quite. Um, the first Pantheon building, the Agrippan Pantheon, uh, it had ended up burning down a century or so later in 80 CE, but no worries. Em Emperor Domitian, he came along, he rebuilt it, and then it burnt down again um, in 110 CE, 30 years later. But uh, eventually it was re-rebuilt under the great Emperor Trajan and his successor Hadrian. Um, and look, I don't know if this was like a, you know, a, a, a three little pigs type situation here. I don't know if Agrippa used straw and then Domitian used sticks, but uh, whatever the case, the third version of the Pantheon, it stuck around, right? Um, after finally being finished in 125 CE, under Trajan and Hadrian, the Pantheon in its current form was constructed. It was finished, a large round temple with a rectangular portico that serves as an entryway. Uh, I'll talk to you a little bit about the building, uh, starting with the portico. The portico is uh, around 34 by 14 metres in size, uh, while the diameter of the exterior of the circular part behind it, the rotunda, the main part of the building, um, its exterior diameter is around 58 metres across, um, while inside it's a little bit small. It's still big. It's still big inside the Pantheon. Huge, great big, exquisitely decorated round room inside the rotunda. Great big domed ceiling. But hang on, you're saying, well, you know, let's not dodge the question. Let's hear the numbers. Come on. How, how big is this interior? I'm sure you're wondering. Well, I'm very glad you asked. 
Um, the exterior diameter, as I said, 58 metres. The interior, fair bit smaller, only 43 metres across. But here is the very cool part about the internal dimensions of the Pantheon because the distance, right, from one wall to the other wall, 43 metres. The distance from the floor to the ceiling, also 43 metres. It is exactly the same distance. In other words, the interior of the Pantheon is spherical, so, sort of. Not Obviously, the floor isn't. The floor is flat. But I'll put it this way, right? If you put a giant ball 43 metres in diameter inside the middle of the Pantheon's interior, you would find that it would fit with extremely pleasing neatness. You'd also probably annoy a lot of the tourists there and very likely get in trouble with some of the staff as well. And also, you may have some difficulty finding a 43-metre diameter ball that you can somehow squeeze through the much smaller portico. But if if you can overcome all of these obstacles somehow, well, the result would be, as I say, extremely pleasing. Anyway, that's the size, that's the shape of the Pantheon, large circular building attached to a smaller rectangular building. And um, just, to, just as it's richly decorated and very impressive now, so too was it richly decorated and very impressive 2,000 years ago. Beautiful pillars and columns, uh, statues and figures, marble, bronze, reliefs and panels, mouldings and tiles, and most strikingly of all, of course, a great big hole in the roof. Uh, yes, one put there on purpose, as it happens, an oculus, it's called. It's around nine metres in diameter, uh, and it's open to the sky. It allows sunlight to flood into the uh, the interior room of the Pantheon. And this turns the Pantheon into something of a sundial, interestingly. Uh, the beam of sunlight moves down the western wall in the morning, across the floor during the day, and then up the eastern wall as the as the afternoon turns to evening. Um Unless it's raining, of course, in which case, believe it or not, rain just falls through the hole. The floor of the Pantheon is very, very slightly inclined. It's on a very slight slant, and it has drainage built into, built into it to account for this. The fact that it just is open to the elements and has rain fall into it uh, on Rome's wet days. But this oculus, right, it's, uh, it's found in the middle of uh, the, the roof that I mentioned before, this famous concrete domed roof, which becomes progressively thinner and lighter the closer you get to the top, obviously, so it, you know, it doesn't collapse under its own weight. And um, at the time that it was built, and for a very long time afterwards, the, right through to the, the, the modern age, this dome remained the largest dome ever built, right, anywhere on Earth. But... Even today, it remains the largest unreinforced concrete dome in the world, anywhere. It's incredible to think that even after thousands and thousands of years, there is not a larger unreinforced concrete dome that's been built anywhere. Because, you know, these days, bloody lazy builders and their reinforced building materials, it was good enough for ancient Rome. No, it certainly isn't good enough for these days. Thank you very much, builders, for using reinforced building materials so our houses don't collapse around our ears. Anyway, um... Right at the top, right, right at the top of this uh, of this dome building, um, the the substance it's made of, right, the concrete that it's made of, it's it's made of pumice, pumice and tufa, very light types of stone, uh, pumice that can pumice can be so light that it floats. You may have already known this, uh, and this is one of the reasons that that the roof is able to stand without reinforcement. The fact that it has been very deliberately engineered to be as light as possible at the top, and weirdly enough, the hole in the middle of the roof, the oculus, actually increases. The, uh, the structural integrity of the dome as a whole. By, put, by, by putting a great big gap in the middle of it, it somehow made it stronger. I don't know. I'm not an engineer, as evidenced by the fact that 30 seconds ago, I was advocating for the removal of, of, of reinforcement from building materials. So don't listen to anything I say on that score. Anyway, that's the what 
of the Pantheon when it was built. But how about the why? That is a, uh, that's a little trickier to answer because there are competing and conflicting theories as to what exactly the Pantheon was used for. Worship, obviously. Obviously, it was a place of worship. It was a temple. That's more or less a given. But worshipping whom exactly? Keen etymologists that are listening are probably registering their own guesses at this point. Obviously, pan means all and theon means gods. So pantheon would be a place to worship all the Roman gods, right? Well, no, not necessarily. It was actually extremely rare for a temple to be dedicated to all the gods. Gods obviously being generally very jealous creatures. Uh, and so many historians consider Pantheon to, be, to have been a nickname for the building rather than indicating the entire Roman pantheon was actually worshipped there. Uh, but generally, temples were devoted to specific gods in Rome. Uh, so this, this is not a joke, actually. This is, this is ridiculous, but it, it's absolutely true. Uh, temples were devoted to specific gods. So if they were hit by lightning, you'd know who was pissed off. Now, this sounds like a gag. It's not. This is actually what Romans believed. The ancient Roman historian Livy wrote about this. It's, it's seriously true, right? Like if you, had a, if you had a temple that was devoted to two gods and it got hit by lightning, well, which one of them was pissed off? You don't know who to sacrifice, make sacrifices to. But if it's only one, then, you know, it's, you get a much clearer message when you're, when you're smitten by a thunderbolt. Anyway, the long and the short of it is this, right? We don't know exactly what purpose specifically the pantheon was put to we're not we're not 100% sure perhaps look perhaps it was a place to worship all the 12 major roman gods um but in any case it was it was put to other uses as well non-religious uses um emperor hadrian is said to have held his imperial court there for instance it may have held uh, other public significance and been used for other public events we're not 100% sure we don't know for for certain it's safe to guess that it was a place of worship but exactly how and exactly what way it was used uh, by by the ancient romans the, uh, the jury is still well and truly out. But it was a grand and it was an impressive building in any case. Um, and so you can imagine that uh, for a long time it remained uh, a very important building for the people of Rome. And uh, unlike uh, a great number of other buildings built by the ancient Romans, uh, the Pantheon would remain important to the people of Rome for centuries, centuries all the way through to the, the modern era. Uh, it actually dodged the fate of, of many other ancient Roman buildings, as we'll come to. But... Um, before we, we move on and, and talk about the, uh, the, the later history of the Pantheon, there's one final thing that I want to point out to you, a very interesting thing about the Pantheon, um, which you may have, have seen if you visited the Pantheon in person or even if you've just seen pictures of it. You uh, may have noticed the inscription that stands above its entrance at the front of the portico. This, uh, this inscription reads, M. Agrippa L.F. Cos Tertium Fecit, which is uh, an abbreviation for Marcus Agrippa Luciae Filius Consul Tertium Fecit. And uh, this translates as Marcus Agrippa, son of Lucius, made this building when consul for the third time. Now, he didn't, did he? We, we know this. We've already talked about this. His version, the version made of hypothetical straw, it burnt down in, in 80 CE. And the version that's there today, the third version, it was finished instead by Hadrian. But Hadrian, very big of him, you'd have to say, he decided not to put his name on the thing when he rebuilt it, but instead kept the original inscription with the original builder's name on it. And so old mate Marcus Agrippa is up there instead. And look, fair enough, really. After all, Hadrian, he's got his wall, doesn't he? He's got it made in the shade. He doesn't need to be greedy and claim the Pantheon as well. So good. Anyway, let's leave the ancient world behind now and begin our long trek through the centuries into Rome's age of Christianity. Um, and the Pantheon is, as I mentioned, in very good nick 
uh, mostly because it's been in constant use since it was re-rebuilt. It hasn't fallen into disrepair or ruin. Uh, It's been very well maintained. And the reason for this, more than anything else, is what happened after the Pantheon was converted to become a Christian church rather than a, a temple devoted to one or more of uh, of the ancient Roman gods. Now, of course, it's undergone some significant changes over the years, uh, such as the one that it went through in the early 7th century when it was first uh, converted in the year 609. Pope uh, Boniface IV, uh, Bonifaci, I don't know, um, he officially converted and consecrated the Pantheon as a Christian church. He named it St. Mary and the Martyrs. Um, And it was just loaded to the gills after he did this with holy relics. Just imagine how much gold it would have generated in the Game of Age of Empires too. Um, And all that ungodly pagan iconography, it was removed and presumably destroyed. And as tragic as this sounds, as tragic as the removal and destruction of all the original trappings uh, trappings of worship is, it was this that saved the Pantheon, right, from the fate that befell so many other Roman buildings, as I say. Because had it remained just another pagan temple in Rome... The Christians probably would have destroyed it altogether, not just the icon, the icons in it, um, not just its statues and decorations, um, or at the very least, if they didn't rip it to pieces, they probably would have just let it fall into ruin. So its conversion into a Christian church, it saved it. It managed to keep the building up with the times, and therefore the Pantheon weathered the years as its Christian custodians now kept it in good shape, as is only proper for a house of worship. But... Uh, even so, when I say it was uh, kept in good shape, that is, uh, you know, a relative measure of things uh, because it wasn't in its best shape around this time, uh, around the time that it was converted in the years after. Um, some even non-overtly pagan decorations were stripped from it, uh, including its beautiful and expensive marble decorations, uh, some of which, some of this marble, ended up in the, can you guess, yes, the British Museum. But largely speaking, even if some of its stonework was was taken and reappropriated, um, the building survived, thankfully, and uh, was in time given a distinctly Christian feel. It was filled with altars and candles and statues and paintings and all sorts of stuff. But interestingly, in addition to being filled with ver- various works of religious art, many of which are still standing and uh, standing there today, from the 16th century onwards, it was also filled up with human remains. Of all things, the Pantheon became, believe it or not, a grave site for some very famous artists from throughout history, such as the painter Raphael and the composer Archangelo Corelli. Now, I'm saying these names in a tone of voice that suggests that you should know who these people are, because you're thinking, this, well, who the bloody hell are they? I've never, I've never heard of them. Who are these blokes? It can't, can't be that important, right? And... That's where you're wrong, dear listener, because both of these people had monumentally important cultural impacts that you, I'm almost certain, have come across in your life. Uh, Raphael probably would hope to be remembered for his magnificent works like The School of Athens, a very famous painter, but is uh, probably more known these days as the source of the name for the Red Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, and similarly, Corelli has also had a cultural impact that, uh, yeah, probably I'd say probably equals that. If, if honestly, if not exceeds that, um, as it was he who composed the theme music for this very podcast, the final movement of his Concerto Grosso in D Major, Opus Six, Number Four. 
So, these two titans of modern culture are both buried in the Pantheon, Raphael, Corelli, plenty of other artists besides some kings and queens as well, just for good measure. But uh, the Pantheon underwent some other changes as well as we draw close to the, the present day. In the 17th century, the bronze roof of the portico was ripped off. It was melted down and made into cannons. Uh, and at one point, two bell towers were put on top of the roof of the Pantheon as well. Um, nicknamed the Donkey's Ears, they eventually got removed in the 19th century. And uh, a good bloody thing too, because they looked ridiculous. And additionally, when it was first re-rebuilt, right, this is really interesting. Um, this, this is a fascinating detail about the Pantheon. When it was first re-rebuilt all the way back in ancient Roman times, you had to climb up some stairs to reach its entrance. Now, that doesn't sound that remarkable. Sure, lots of buildings are raised above street level. Well, today, if you visit the Pantheon, you will notice that not only is the Pantheon at street level, you actually have to walk downhill to get into its main entrance. So... Why is this the case? How has this happened? Has it sunk over the years? Has the the weight of the pumice dome pummeled it into the earth? No. In fact, it is the opposite. Rome has risen. Over the centuries and centuries, over the millennia that Rome has been around as more roads and more buildings have been built, the street level of Rome has only gotten higher and higher. To misquote Terry Pratchett, Rome is mainly built on Rome. And while the uh, the fortunes of the exterior of the building have been a little bit mixed, you know, with people pillaging bits of marble, putting stupid bell towers on top of it before ripping them off, and, uh, and you know, nicking, nicking bronze roofs to make cannons, all that sort of stuff, the interior of the building, it has changed certainly over the years, but almost always for the better. Extensive restoration work and additional beautification work has been done on the interior of the Pantheon, and it is absolutely exquisite. It is such an incredible sight to behold. Inside the Pantheon, its grandeur, its splendor has been very deliberately maintained and increased, improved over the years. And as I say, as impressive as the building remains outside, the inside far outshines its exterior. Even if you never make it to Rome, if you never get to see the Pantheon's interior with your own eyes, go online. Go and have a look at the pictures and the videos that people have taken from inside this building. It really is an incredible building to explore. And look, this isn't this this isn't this isn't a particularly controversial opinion, although it is one that I will say has been held by plenty of people over the centuries, demonstrably so, in fact, because as many listeners or may already know, the Pantheon has served as an inspiration for a great many other grand buildings all across the world, some of them quite famous in their own right, and most famous of all, perhaps, uh, will be a building well known to fans of both American history and the popular video game Fallout 3. Thomas Jefferson's memorial in Washington, D.C. It is built the same shape as the Pantheon, the portico, the rotunda. It's also open to the elements, just like the original Pantheon, although this time from the side rather than from the top. The Pantheon remains one of the most impressive and the most well-preserved examples of ancient Roman architecture, alongside all the trappings of nearly 2,000 years of history held within its walls. And uh, it should be very, very high on your list if you ever visit the city of Rome as, as a place to visit. It's one of a great many uh, enormously popular tourist attractions uh, in the Italian capital. Still used today as a Catholic cathedral, interestingly. Some people even manage to get married in the Pantheon from time to time. But uh, as I've already said, well worth a visit if you ever find yourself in Rome. And while you're there, be sure to pop over to Corelli and thank him for the absolute banger he's about to play us out with.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.